Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of Where to Go, the podcast from DK Witness, which gives you the inside track on the world's best travel destinations. I'm James Atkinson, brand manager at DK Witness, and I'm joined after a little holiday from the pod uh, by senior editor Lucy Richards. How are you, Lucy? Ah, oh, I'm I'm very well. I feel very well rested, and I'm actually really excited about this episode. So it's it's nice to be back, even though I'm not in the wet climbs of Somerset. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so you've been over to Somerset, you've had a bit of a holiday. Um, you've also been quite busy working on our new like local guides, haven't you? That's right, yes, because Wonderful Elspeth very kindly stepped in um, to the podcast before I was off. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's it, we're kind of in the throes of really pressing on with Like a Local, so May combined a combination of like a local and holiday just meant may was a bit of a write-off for me podcast wise um so we are pressing forward we're very exciting books will be hitting bookshelves in september um and the team are all busy working away so fantastic it's very it's a very exciting time uh, but yeah i am i'm am actually really really pleased to be back to here to be here to chat to you well it's, it's very it's very exciting to have you back on the pod and for those who um you know we've teased it a little bit especially in the first season because we some of our guests like kwaku and lauren uh nicola um all kind of feature in like a local but for, for those who don't know what is the Like a Local series? So it's a series of city titles. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there are six arriving at a bookshop near you, James, yep. um, and all our listeners in September. Um, and they are books told from the very much the point of view of the locals' perspective. Mm-hmm. So forget all the tourist traps, forget all your Empire State buildings and your Statue of Liberties and your London eyes. This is about how locals really spend their time. Yeah. So these are theme-led books, you know, where to eat, where to drink, where to shop, etc. And we've got some really, really cool new writers and genuine locals. Um, and the books are essentially really built on small businesses, which, you know, is a sort of the, the key message of coronavirus as well. So Supporting local, championing that's local. That's it. Yeah. Fam- yeah, family-run businesses, you know, black businesses. We're really championing those um, and um, we're just so delighted that they that they will be 
as we say, coming out soon, because we started working on these at the start of 2020 and we were doing it during, you know, the sort of the height of the pandemic. So um, it's really exciting. Can't wait to, for you to all finally see them. And hopefully we'll, we'll maybe we'll have a podcast episode about local who knows yeah i'm sure we will i'm sure we, we might have a have a few to be honest um uh yeah, yeah i had i had a, a sneak peek at one the other day and it, they, they're looking they're looking brilliant so it's a great yeah. job lucy and it's and it's fantastic to have you back on the podcast today thank you um and you know i'm not surprised you've come back in for this episode because on today's episode we're going to try <laughs> something a little bit different um we're actually uh, going to talk about a couple of different destinations because we're delighted to be joined by one of the world's best-selling authors, Kevin Kwan, yes. um, who's going to take us, uh, take us through some of those places that he knows best. Yeah, so Kevin's obviously the author behind um, the global phenomenon that is Crazy Rich Asians, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the trilogy, which has sold 1.5 million books worldwide and has then been turned into a film with the same name. And that has become one of the highest grossing romantic comedies of all time. Yeah, I believe uh, the highest uh, grossing romantic comedy for a decade, which is amazing. That's incredible. Um, But Kevin is also an incredibly keen traveller and travel features a lot in his books. Mm. Uh, None less so than his latest book, uh, Sex and Vanity, which sees him sort of shift focus to the Italian island of Capri. um, A destination Kevin himself has visited many times over the past decade and which in itself kind of becomes a character in the book. So we're delighted to welcome to the pod. Uh, we're very, very honoured to be joined by Kevin Kwan. So welcome, Kevin. Hello. Hey, Hello. it's great to be here. Thanks for getting up early uh, in Los Angeles and joining us from halfway around the world. It's very exciting to have you on here. It's fun to be here and I wish I could be there in person. Oh, Really yeah, wish I could lovely. be there in person. Yeah. <laughs> that would be lovely. Change of scene would be nice after 14 <laughs> yeah. months, you know. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to ask a few questions about destinations close to your heart. And we're going to start in celebration of your new book, Sex and Vanity, uh, with the setting of that book, uh, The Charming Neapolitan Island of Capri. So, uh, Kevin, um, kind of wanted to start with why Capri and, and, and when did you first visit it? Why Capri? Um, because to me, it's the most beautiful place on earth. And I, I know I'm mm. sort of insulting quite a, quite a few places <laughs> um, on the planet, but I went there for the first time, I believe I was about 17, 18 years old, I think, mm-hmm. with my family. We were on a family vacation mm. in Italy, and we, like most tourists going to Italy for the first time, made the mistake of just going to Capri for one day, for one afternoon. We yeah. took the ferry over from Sorrento. And I remember getting there, and when you first arrive at the at the marina, it's a kind of dusty little, you know, fishing village marina. Yeah. And <laughs> my first thought was, why are we here? You know, like it's 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 not it's pretty, but it's not that spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. What you, you fail to realize is is that Capri, the town, is actually on top of the mountain. So everyone lines up for the they call it the funiculore. A little train that takes you up the mountain. And when yeah. you get to the top of the mountain and you get out of the train and you're in this beautiful plaza, it's just jaw-dropping. The views, the Mediterranean, the turquoise waters, I mean, it just comes alive there. And it's paradise. Because you're just like surrounded by the Bay of Naples, aren't you, really? You are, but you're far enough out where it's you feel like you're in this, you know, it's crystal blue waters. 
And from that vantage point, the geometry of the island dazzles like a diamond. I can't really describe it any other way. You know, there's just something so perfectly, aesthetically perfect about it. Mm. And then, of course, everywhere you go, it's it's wildflowers, it's bougainvillea, it's, you know, hibiscus. It's, so it's, it's an island in full bloom, and it's colorful. And then there's the people, mm. you know, this glamorous group of, you know, international travelers. It's just, it was like nowhere else I'd been on Earth. And immediately I thought, wow. Yeah. Why are we only here for the day? <laughs> you know, so I, I swore at that moment that, you know, especially after exploring the island a bit and having to leave five hours later, I was like, I have to come back here. And so very luckily I was able to, you know, a few years later on mm-hmm. my own. And um, it's just been, a, you know, love affair of an island ever since. So I've always been dreaming of what can I do with mm. this island? You know, what sort of story mm. can I tell here? And it took maybe a decade of just sort of letting the idea marinate before Sex and Vanity came to my mind. So what was the inspiration for setting it there? Did it, did it, what was sort of, I guess, came first? Was it Sex and Vanity and then it was Capri? Or was it, I have to write a book that's set in Capri and then along came Sex and Vanity? It was really being on the island and Mm -hmm. people watching, I have to say, that really inspired me. Um, When you're on a holiday island for a number of days, you start to see the same people over and over again. Mm-hmm. And in, in this case, I remember the first time it, the idea really came to mind. I was sitting on the piazza and this family had just arrived. They'd just gotten off a ferry. You know, there was, a, it, they, I believe they were American. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, a very handsome parents, beautiful daughter who was about probably 16, you know, she was a 16, 17 teenager, mm. um, a son, a younger brother. And the girl was very sulky, you know. Yeah. She was on her phone. You could tell she didn't, she, the last place she wanted to be was on vacation with her parents. Um, and then I saw them again the next day, and you could see how the island had transformed her. That's cool. You know, she was suddenly happy. She was bouncing around with her brother. Yeah. You could tell that she was having, you know, beginning to have a great time, you know. Yeah. And then I think was it that night, all the teenagers get together on the island. Yeah. You know, it's it's so safe. Mm. People find each other, and that that and they all mill about on the in this one, you know, the cool square at night, and you'll mm. see hundreds of teenagers from all around the world just sort of milling about. It's sort of like their little private outdoor rave. And I saw her. So she had found friends, you know, by the second night. And then by day three, I think I was on an excursion, and she came along, and now she was holding hands of a boy. Ah. So she'd, she'd met another teen on the island. <laughs> a little summer romance was budding. Um, and then I began seeing her with him and with all these other kids over the next few days. And then by day six, she's down at the docks sobbing. Oh, no. Because yeah. she has to leave him yeah. and go back, you know, to America. So I saw this entire sort of sweet summer romance unfold before my eyes over, over the course of a week. And I said, you know, this is how can I tell this story and do justice to it in a really fun way through my mm. lens and, and through mm. doing what I do. Mm. And that was, the, that was the original inspiration the first time around. 
Love it. Well, I felt like I was in that piazza seeing all that with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> quite fascinating. I wonder if she's uh, read the book as well. Have you have you found out if she has? Uh... I mean, who knows? You know, I, I never once approached them, you know. Um, I didn't want to be that crazy weird dude <laughs> <laughs> going, <laughs> you know. Um, but, I, you know, the same story unfolds time a time thousand again. times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's, it's, it's that summer. kind of, I guess, magic of the island. It's magic of the, exactly. of the, of the place and, as well, mm. as, right? And it just—it was a perfect sort of coming-of-age tale. Mm. And so, you know, a room of a view is a, a book and a movie that I absolutely love. Yeah, and so yeah. I thought it'd be fun to sort of um pay homage to that, but also really reinvent it. You know, yeah. for this time, for my Lucy, who 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 is who's a very yeah. different yeah. Lucy. Than his Lucy and our Lucy as well. <laughs> just, 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 yeah. just, just to avoid yes, conf- exactly. confusion. <laughs> uh, that's 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 so cool. Um, I mean, I think it's um, uh, yeah, that kind of like summer romance is obviously changed, but there there are kind of like eternal themes there, really, especially mm. with a with a country like Italy as well, where romance is kind of always in the air in some yes. ways. Yes, not to true, sound James. too cheesy. Um, and one of the uh, sort of things that I've read quite a lot about the novel is. Um, well, the Guardian actually kind of referred to uh, the sort of beginning of it, like reading like travel porn, and I hope that's a compliment. I hope you're okay with that, with me saying that. Um, but but um, but listing sort of things like the the island's best known sites, the lesser lesser known places to go, eat, drink, and so on. Uh, and you've been quite a few times as well. So so where are some of your favourite places to go, Kevin, on on Capri? Well, first of all, all my books are travel porn yes, yeah. and, and food porn, I'm hoping, and shopping porn. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> how many times can we say porn in a podcast? It's um, never happened before, but I'm delighted it's happened exactly. here. Yeah, yeah. We're, I think this is our 17th episode or so. So far, we have, we've never said the word porn. So, so this, is, this is the other thing about Capri. And I, I swear I do not work for the tourism board. You know, I, I've, I've not been paid to say this. There... The island is magical because there's so many layers to mm. it, and there's something for everyone. Um, so I have I've been to Capri at least a dozen times now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've I've sort of lost count. Every time I go, I discover something mm. new. Yeah, there is archaeology, um, both ancient and Roman and and pre-Roman. Mm-hmm times you know so there's so many layers you can go and and ruins you can see and castles and palaces and villas you can visit you can go on hikes you know along trails where the 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 french soldiers are trying to surprise the british soldiers um and ambush them you know so there's so much history there as Mm -hmm. well then there is the pure food capri Mm. where you can just do a tour of all the amazing restaurants that's what um, I'd want to do. There's the shopping Capri, yep. right? Where you can really go to amazing, visit amazing local artisans and get sandals made, you know, just for your feet, things like that. Um, so I, for me, after you see everything, which you can't because there's so much mm-hmm. to see, I just love sitting around in different spots yeah, at different cafes watching people. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's so many of those choice spots. So I I love doing that. I love going on hikes. Um, there's an amazing natural wonder called the Arco Naturale, and it is a gigantic limestone arch 
that appears to rise out of the water for, you know, thousands of feet oh. soaring into the air. It's actually the remnants of a collapsed cave. Oh, wow. So it was actually part of a cliff. Beautiful. The inside collapsed, leaving only this outer arch. And it's astonishing. I see. Because, you know, you, you literally round a corner mm. and there you are, you know, looking up at this enormous thing. You know, it's as if you're in the Grand Canyon all of a sudden. You know, so cool. or the inversion of the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Wow. So there's so many natural wonders there that you can see. That's one of them. Um, I, I love going to a beautiful villa called the Villa San Michele. Um, it was built by a very famous doctor in the early 20th century named Axel Munth from Sweden. He was sort of like a celebrity doctor. He wrote books. Um, you know, I, I guess he was like the Dr. Fauci of his day, you know, um, and he, you know, he made, he had a vacation home in Capri. I think he, he lived also in Sweden mm -hmm. and he invited all you know important people and kings and queens. They came to visit him at this villa because it was so beautiful. He built this sort of Edenic paradise and he has this Egyptian sphinx carved out of marble on the edge of the villa, at, at, on the balcony, and it's facing the ocean. So you can't ever see its face. Ah. And he's designed it so you can never see its face, even if, I mean, you could, you could fall out the balcony, of course, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's so far out on the precipice. Um, so there's so many intriguing things, you know, yeah. to that house that make it very special. So should I go on? Oh, what? Well, <laughs> that, well, that enough? Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, I we really, really day, could. Like, I, think I had no idea about, like, kind of hiking in Capri. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean... It, you know, you, me neither. It's an outdoors paradise. It truly is. Yeah. You know, people think of yeah. Capri, and, and there's the jet set part, yeah, of course, right? Of course. There's the shopping and the food and the eating and the glamorous party scene at night. But there's a very natural Capri, where you can get lost for hours and mm. not see a single soul, um, and follow these cliffside mm. trails or oceanside trails. Um, and I've done lots of it. You know, I I, I love to hike. So for, for me, it's getting out of nature in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. I've, I've been to, to spots on the island where you're in this gigantic field of just wildflowers, you know, wow. as far as the wow. eye can see. And you're like, it, this doesn't even feel like you're on an island anymore. It sounds magical. It sounds really magical. I mean, I, I was saying just before we started the pod that I haven't been, I've been once and it was when I was 17. And, I, and as you say, I, I went for four hours when I was visiting Naples and, uh, uh, and didn't really see any of that at all. So definitely worth a revisit for sure. And uh Definitely. And so much of the island is inaccessible to yeah. the four-hour visitor. You know, it, you, you literally don't have time to get to certain spots. Mm. So I say spend the night, spend the week, actually, because there's, there's not enough time ever, you know. I always, you know, leave Capri wanting more, wishing I had one more day. So obviously, Kevin, Crazy Rich Asians... Um, it's famous for showcasing that kind of flamboyant side of Singaporean culture. What was the inspiration behind the books? Well, beyond the flamboyant side, I, I really wanted to give people an intimate behind-the-curtain peek into the lives of Singaporeans and into, mm. into really the lives specifically of, of this one family, mm. this very powerful, glamorous, rich family, and really get into really the foibles of, of their life and and what is it like to be richer than god you know yeah. on a tiny island where other people are n not quite as rich as you but but plenty rich yeah. <laughs> quite frankly um and i also wanted to sort of showcase um the more hidden parts of singapore that mm -hmm. i remember as a child so it's it's a mashup of 
lots of childhood memories, but also, you know, a celebration of a culture and a, and a place that is sort of, you know, singularly unique. Yeah, because I, I mean, the, the, the sort of the books and the films do showcase that luxury side, but they there is different aspects, isn't there? Like uh, they, you know, showcases some of the, the sort of hawker, hawker markets, for instance, and um, uh, lots of the, the different sides of, of Singaporean culture as well, because um, it's quite a diverse place, isn't it? Extremely so. Mm. I mean, it's, you know, it's an island that was really at the crossroads of Asia. Mm. Mm. And so there's a Chinese population, you know, comprising of, of people from numerous dialect groups, from China that had immigrated mm. centuries ago. And then there's the, the native Malays mm. from Malaysia. There's the Indian population. There's the Eurasian population. And then there's a sort of international European population. So they, they all commingle, mm. you know, in the most beautiful way. And so even growing up there, it was, it was, it always felt so international, so cosmopolitan. You mm. know, my my neighbor next door on one side was from England. On the other side was a New Zealand boy. Across the street was an Indian family, yeah. you know, and, and we all hung out and That's we cool. all sort of, you know, terrorized our neighborhood <laughs> together. <laughs> so like a little kind of United Nations almost <laughs> taking over the, the Singaporean Yeah, the United group. Nations bicycle gang. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Uh, so um, obviously Singapore was going undergoing something of a travel boom for for years before Crazy Rich Asians, but then the books kind of hit, the film hit, and and things really kind of kicked off. Have you kind of heard about readers like visiting Singapore, wanting to kind of see the place behind the book? I get hundreds of comments a week, still to this day, of people saying. I booked my vacation to Singapore. Uh, Can't wait to see it. Or I just got back. I took your book along with uh, me as a, as a guide. Wow. And I, I, you know, I've heard only anecdotally, you know, that tourism has really spiked since the movie. Yeah. Mm. Um, mm. It's, you know, it was already a very popular tourist destination, but this just put it over the top. Wow, that must be incredibly rewarding, Kevin, and um, and uh, uh, yeah, just wonderful. I imagine as an artist to then to, to then have that. Yeah, it's it's fun to see. It's it's fun to see people discover, you know, a place that you love. And and you know, from from uh, the books and the film, uh, have people kind of gone to different places than than the usual tourists would go to as well? Well, I think my books have a combination of you know sort of greatest hits tourist spots yeah. but also yeah. sort of more insidery spots i would i would say but there are a lot of private clubs that, that they'll never get into first of all you know yes. but they, they might sort of try to peek through the doors <laughs> um but i've heard anecdotally that there are now at least six different competing crazy rich asians tours cool. going on on the oh, island wow so you know, some very enterprising people, I think, have, you know, done their versions of the tours with their insider scoop on, you know, where this was in the book and where this was in the film. Because, of course, a lot of times they didn't actually mesh up, you know, perfectly. I mean, um, you, know so you're it's, at, it's, you know you're at the helm of a phenomenon when you've got, like, tours yes. named after your your um, your your product, basically. Yes. That's it's quite... pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy, but it's you know it's all good fun, and um, yeah, and I and I hope the locals aren't too mad about it. Quite frankly, and, and, and... <laughs> that their island has been too invaded um, <laughs> by tourists going to look at a certain house or something in in a, in a private neighborhood. I, I, I'm sure it's uh, it's all pride, but uh, uh, and obviously you sort of grew up in Singapore. You you lived there till you were 11. Um, uh, what what's your kind of you know, what are your sort of memories of, of growing up there? What what kind of makes it special? 
I mean, it's in three books. You can read all about it <laughs> in the trilogy. <laughs> I But, mean, it's right yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, it's it a... was a very, it really was a very idyllic time, you know, and, and I don't mean to sound like some sort of ancient fuddy-duddy when I say that. It really mm. was a different time um, mm. in Singapore's history. This was, you know, gasp, the 70s and the early 80s, <laughs> yes. believe it or not. Mm. And there was still a sort of sleepiness to the island. Um, mm. And... And I think I was also very, very privileged. So I was in this little bubble. I lived in this, you know, beautiful neighborhood um, where I sort of ran around barefoot, you know, and had a very sort of Huck Finn childhood, yeah. you know, with my friends running around. Um, you know, there was still there were still jungle areas, mm. you know, yeah, sort of yeah. at, at, at the bottom of the hill where we lived that we could sort of go into and explore. And um, so it was a very sort of wild, rough and tumble childhood. Yeah. For me, and and that's what I what I remember the most, punctuated by, by all the food, you know, yes. by mm. by all the amazing food that we had. You know, my family ate five times a day. Wonderful, you know, breakfast, lunch, tea, dinner, and supper. Love that. Yeah, you know, and often at five different places a day. So you know, so many of my mem memories are, of course, you know, sort of enriched by the memory of like good eating, great restaurants. You know, sadly, most of which aren't around anymore, um, just because of time. Sure. I did read that uh, you said that you kind of never seen actually had seen any of the skyscrapers growing up because you were kind of like protected from that. Is that is that kind of true? That's not quite true. Um, you know, the skyscrapers are unavoidable. Mm. You yeah. know, on a, on a on a tiny island, you you do see them. Yeah. But what I did say once was that um, there there's all these sort of public housing. Mm. Um, tall high-rise buildings. Um, they're called HDB flats, Housing Deve Development Board flats. And um, I'd never been to one. Mm. Ah. Um, I, you know, they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. But almost everyone I knew in my social orbit, and mind you, I was, you know, a child, right? Mm -hmm. But all the other kids, you know, that I went to school with and, and friends and neighbors and, of course, family, everyone lived in houses. And we did not realize, or I did not realize back then as a child, you know, how privileged that was mm. because, you know, there's only 5% of the population that live in landed properties. Is that right? Oh, wow. 95% wow. live in high-rise housing, you know, because there is mm. such a density on the yes. island. So, you know... Growing, growing up, you just you didn't realize that. No. Um, you know, I, I was very sheltered from that world. Wow. Cool. Well, I think we're going to move on to our next destination, uh, which is a city that needs no introduction, basically. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about New York City. Um, Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> get closer to the next long-awaited adventure, why not try a DKR Witness travel guide? We're back to publishing brand new guides the world's most exciting destinations, filled with inspirational things to do, practical advice, and itineraries to make the most of your time. To browse the range, visit your local bookshop, or see some of our favourites via the link in our episode bio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now we're going to touch on New York City, uh, where you... Uh, so you're, you're speaking to us today from LA, but previous to that, you lived for about 20 years in New York City, right? Um, I sure did. Uh, and in particular, Greenwich Village. Um, so uh, could you like tell us a little bit about your time there? Obviously, like New York t- turns up in quite a few of the books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's clearly a place that's inspired some of your writing too, right? It does. And, you know, certainly Sex and Vanity, the new novel, mm-hmm. um, half of it takes place in New York and East Hampton, you know, out in yeah. the Hamptons. So yeah. I r- actually see it as the New York novel. Mm-hmm. quite yeah. frankly. <laughs> um, and it really was my valentine to the city that I lived in, you know, for so many years. And growing up, you know, I moved after age 11 to Texas, to mm-hmm. suburban Houston, Texas. And um, for me, the dream was to move to New York and live in the village and yeah. have that really cool sort of Bob Dylan, Jack Kerouac life, you know, yeah. sort, of, sort of immerse myself in that world of the beats and artists and things like that. And I never dreamed I would actually be able to make it happen. But I did. About 10 years later, you know, I, I went to art school in New York um, at Parsons School of Design. And that was it was in the village. So, of course, I found a place to live around there. And um, it was truly like a dream, mm. Mm. I have to say. You know, it was like an unfolding two-decade-long dream. Because New York is unlike any other city on Earth, right? It's yeah. some, there's so much happening every moment of the day. Um, so many cool things. The, the whole city is is like theater, mm. you know, when the minute you walk on the streets and especially down by the village, you know, there's so many characters, local characters yeah. out, out in a box, about, especially in Washington Square Park. Yeah. You know, the historic sure. park that's right there in the middle of the village yeah. where so many important things have happened, you know, over time. So it was, um, it was a great place to be, you know, it really was where I found my voice mm. um, as a writer, I would say, you know, just, um, living the life, immersing in, you know, the city life and, and working hard, but also playing hard too. Because I guess it's, it's, for me, like New York City is one of those um, places that you, uh, you know, people obsess over it, people have their own version of the city in their heads and when they go to it and it, it doesn't, it doesn't really disappoint. It's a, it's very, it's got something for everyone yeah. a little bit, especially if you know where you're looking. So if you want to go to the village, you do get that kind of sense of, of, of the history behind it, of the culture that's kind of made it. And, and actually, you know, you can almost see, you know, from the sixties, Bob Dylan era to the nineties, like kind of sex in the city era, like um, how it's developed and how it's changed. It's such a, such a cool place to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, and it's always changing. Mm. That's the great thing about New York. And it's always morphing. So my memories, my experiences there, you know, there's a whole new generation of, of young artists and writers who are, who are discovering the New York for themselves and, mm. and so much mm. of that locus. So back when I lived there, the village was cool, right? Yeah. The village, I don't think, is considered that cool anymore to young people. Um, they're out in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, mm. They're out in Fort Greene sure. and Clinton Hill. And that's, you know, 
Red Hook, those are the cool neighborhoods. That's the new sort of nexus of creativity and, and all that. And, you know, that world is pretty foreign to me for the most for the most part. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I remember my time, you know, I was lucky enough to work for Interview Magazine, which was started by Andy Warhol. So oh. I had a very sort of cool downtown experience where I, I got to, you know, sort of meet amazing people, go to some amazing parties in Soho at, at very cool lofts. And, um, and then also it was a time where you didn't have to be rich or famous to be invited to the coolest parties in town. Yeah. You know, you just had to have ideas. You just had to mm. have chutzpah, really. Yeah. And um, another memory comes to mind um, of going to a party in the East Village um, at the home of um, a very important artist. And he had bought an old school building Cool. And turned the entire school into his private studio and house. Yeah. So it was this immense, immense space, you know. And he decided to throw a party and, and somehow I managed to be invited. And I remember being at the party and within one night meeting, you know, three of my biggest heroes. Um, wow. Laurie Anderson was one of them. You know, she's the amazing Absolutely. artist, performance artist, mm. musician. And her husband, Lou Reed, Mm-hmm. You know, cool. I was like yeah. right before my eyes, they came into the room and I was like, oh my God, you know. Um, and then who's the other artist who I'm now forgetting, of course. <laughs> um. <laughs> it always happens. Um, I mean, when you start off with Laurie Anderson and Lou Reed, it's quite hard to I know. follow that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Julie Taymor, the director, was there that night. And then, of course, the great Caetano Veloso. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, wow you know, the Brazilian artist. And it was just like, just, you know, you're just remembering like awestruck yeah. being in a room of all these people, you know, plus 300 other, other people milling about this old school. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that was the cool thing. You know, it was, there was sort of a kind of a very democratic nature mm. to the town in a way that um, um, you could infiltrate all these different circles if you wanted to. Because a lot of your books kind of touch on like social circles and like diff- people moving in different circles and uh, like almost mixing between them and stuff as well. And, and New York is obviously very, very different to Singapore, probably quite different to Capri in a way. But, the you know, uh, some of the characters kind of mix between the three and kind of show those those kind of social circles coming together, I guess. And I guess that's probably from some of your experience, right? Yeah, they really do. New York City is a collection of villages. Mm. Yeah. You know, so Capri is one village and you've got that vibe of one village. But New York is a is a collection of hundreds of villages. There are hundreds mm. of scenes, right? And a lot of times they do overlap in, in many ways. And, and that's what makes it so beautiful. You know, you could, you could go from a, a downtown party with an amazing legendary rock star to go uptown and be in that whole gossip girl world of the Upper East Side. Yeah. And be in a rarefied drawing room of a, of a Picasso on the wall, you know. And that's the world of Lucy Tang Churchill, my heroine in Sex and Vanity. Yeah. yeah. You know, she comes from the rarefied old money, you know, New York. Kevin, how did you find leaving New York after all that time and after all these, you know, amazing experiences? You, do you miss it? I do. And I think for quite a while, I was really in denial. (laughs) And I was living this very bi-coastal life Mm. where I was commuting from New York to L.A. um, a couple of times a month because I refused to give up New York and I refused to give up my identity as a New Yorker. Mm. Um, I still do in many ways, you know, consider myself a New Yorker. But at a certain point, it got ridiculous. And I really got sick of living out of hotel rooms in L.A., 
I I I probably stayed in every hotel in you know in LA over the past you know three years, and it was time to get a place and and um you know especially when things really started going with the movie sure. and with, mm. with TV shows I I started getting into you know pulled into I had no choice um but surprisingly I've really fallen in love with LA oh good um something very cool is happening here right now you know there's an energy here a creative energy that really does remind me of New York in the nineties. Oh, great. So many artists and writers and, and creative people are here. And it's it's still cheap enough where you can have a creative life. Mm. Mm. Um, New York, unfortunately, has become so expensive sure. that especially in Manhattan, it's it's almost impossible, you know, um, for artists to really sort of um, manage to, to live there. As you were saying, like people are getting kind of pushed out a little bit into into Brooklyn and, and, and other areas. And those are kind of the up and coming areas now, right? Yeah. That's- they really have. And, you know, the same things happen in London. Yeah. Because yeah. I also kind of wonder whether in the world we're living in, people are moving out of these big cities and going somewhere to smaller cities where maybe they have a bit more space as well. I don't know. You know, that like talking about that hike in Capri, maybe people are thinking of moving London and New York to sort of have more space to get out into the world. I don't know. I mean, that's certainly happened in the past um, year and a half. You know, yeah. there has been a tremendous exodus from cities. Yeah. In the U.S., particularly New York, um, so many people mm. have left and, and so many people have really sort of found that, you know, I, I don't have to be here to sort of mm. be cool or be in the center of things. Everything has gone remote. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can have a, a much cheaper art studio in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and go to New York, you know, and show my work if I need to, you know. So um, people okay. are finding new ways, I think. People are adapting. But okay. I wouldn't count New York out at all. <laughs> when you do yeah. go back, Kevin, where is on your list, your New York list of places that you want to go to, whether that's restaurants or bars or, you know, where, what, what's on your kind of to hit list? Well, the first thing I always do when I go to New York is I see my really dear friend and hairdresser, um, this Joe Blackwell, who's been cutting my hair for 25 years now. Um, because she just, you know, we have a special, she has a special relationship with my hair that, that I don't even have. <laughs> and she's able to manage it and tame it and, and give it a very cool cut. Yeah. Um, so she has an amazing salon in Soho called Dop Dop. Um, cool. And it's also a cool hangout spot. Cool. You know, um, it's interesting how salons become almost like sort of living rooms and community very centers true. for neighborhoods. Yeah. And, and hers is one of them. And then, believe it or not, there is an amazing place that I've written about twice now. Um, it appears in two of my books called Tea and Sympathy. Mm. Mm. And it's a little cozy tea room um, in the heart of the West Village, um, owned by Londoner Nikki Perry. And it's where I get my British fix. It's, it's where I get my, <laughs> you know, my scrambled eggs and, and bangers <laughs> and, you know, scotch eggs and... <laughs> I had no Scones. idea about this. This and, is a um, yeah. revelation. Um, and I know so many experts living in New York who would love to hear about that, I'm sure. They really would. And it's it's become a hangout, you know, mm. for a lot of expats and a lot of sort of um, Brits in New York. You know, I know I, I've been there and I've seen, you know, people like Rupert Everett, mm. Jude Law, um, you know, Paul Bettany, people like that. It's just, um, it's like a home away from home mm. in many yeah. ways for them because she serves food that I'm told is these days missing from a lot of menus in London. You know, she serves wow. that sort of old style, 
you know, yeah. childhood nursery food, you know, all, yes. the, all the puddings and the treacle pudding and, yes. you know, what's that one that I love? Um, Ribena. She's got Ribena. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that is, that, that, that is the taste of my childhood, Ribena. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> so it's, it's really like, it's really a throwback in a way. And it's, it's such a cool little scene. Um, and the food yeah. is beyond that. The food is so good. Um, best scrambled eggs in the world, I think, you know. I have cool. to check it out next time I go to New York for sure, which seems a bit weird coming from London. Yeah, you can go, you can go there and have beans on toast. I mean, never going to turn down beans on toast. It's true. Yeah. Um, and you, or spaghetti you, on toast. You kind of mentioned that, um, uh, that Northampton kind of features in, the, in, in Sex and Vanity too. And um, obviously that's, um, you know, the, the Hamptons is, is, you know, the new york's kind of social summer hub right it's it's where it's where people go to vacation it's where they where people go for weekends and so on um uh you know did you experience much of that when you were living there too did you kind of join join the hamptons crowd when you were i i would i wouldn't say i was really part of the crowd Mm. um but i i did go to the hamptons um every summer Mm. for a long time um and i was lucky enough to to a friend's who had grown up going, you know, all their lives. And so I got to sort of sneak in through the back door mm-hmm. and really get a sense of, of kind of, you know, the local scene, um, mm. particularly in East Hampton, you know, um, where it wasn't as much of the party crowd, although we did, you know, go to some really cool parties. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was the escape every weekend, you know, to just get out of the city yes. and be in a beautiful, you know, part of nature people don't realize that um you know that the hamptons is of course famous for the jet set party scene but it's a beautiful part of the world it truly is you have these picturesque little towns you know little seaside towns that are just so enchanted you know it's sort of the the u.s version of the lake district you know where the where the land has been so beautifully cultivated over years and years and years that every hedge is beautifully clipped and you've got these glorious houses that are beautifully restored and, and the town squares are just so idyllic and perfect. And, yeah. and then, of course, you know, bloody expensive food. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, there was a certain, you know, vibe to the place, of course. And um, so, you know, many, many of my summers were, were, were spent there. And of course, I write about it in Sex and Vanity. Mm. You know, Lucy and her family, as New Yorkers of you know, her circle, they all have houses out there. Their summer houses are all in, in, the, in the Hamptons. So she's very much also a native, you know, she's been going there her whole life. Yeah. And her beach houses, you know, has been in the family for four generations. Mm. So that's that's the kind of family she comes from. Yeah. So really, from, yeah, it's, it's that kind of the mindset of uh, that kind of rich Hampton, well, New Yorker Hamptonite kind of identity and then transposing that partly to Capri as well. Exactly. So in this section, we're going to ask Kevin some quickfire travel questions. Uh, So Kevin, uh, you can choose from anywhere in the world for your answers. Nowhere is out of bounds. Uh, You have so many different different recommendations that we've already touched on in this podcast. I'm quite excited for this bit. So so Lucy is going to kick off with the first one. So Kevin, number one, your favourite restaurant... Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> at, at the moment, since I'm in LA, I'm going to say Maro. Um, oh, yeah. Maro's, and it's in West Hollywood. It's it's actually behind the, the famous legendary Fred Siegel 
boutique. And um, it's just an amazing Mediterranean food, which coincidentally, the food reminds me of the food in Capri. You know, it's, it's simple, delicious, fresh Italian fare in a very cool. sort of outdoor setting. Perfect. Fantastic. Uh, very good answer. Um, so next question, favorite view? You know, it would be the view on this marvelous walk that I take every time I'm in Capri. Um, it's called the Vier Matamania Walk. And it skirts around a cliffside, but there's a point where you can see um, the Casa Malaparte, which is an amazing villa mm. um, that's on the mm. edge of a cliff. And half the villa is a staircase built into the wall that goes up to the rooftop. So it's it's dramatically modern, even though it was built, I think, in the 50s. Wow. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, spoiler alert, also setting insects and vanity, but it's just... <laughs> So otherworldly, you know, to be on this beautiful nature trail, breathtaking views of the ocean, and then you see this magnificent terracotta red house rising up from the cliffs. Wow. That's also also very, very good answer. Okay, Kevin, your best place to spend a day. That's a tricky one. You can't say Capri again because we've already <laughs> no, discussed it. You can't spend just spend yeah. the day there, right? That's a... Best place to spend the day. Um, I'd say the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Mm. Love that. Yeah. Great answer. You know, because it's a place where you could go to and spend a whole week and still not see enough. Yeah. So I've designed actually a, a very fast 45-minute tour of the greatest hits of the, of the museum. So next time you're in town and we're both in town, I'll, I'll take you on that. Perfect. But it's really a place where you can just Amazing. meander for a whole day yeah. and have lunch at the cafe and you know, go from the Chinese wing to the oceanic wing to go looking at a beautiful painting by Van Gogh, you know, so. That does sound I like would, a great place. Yeah. I would absolutely agree with that. It's such a fascinating, um, fascinating place and, and so much to see as well. Um, so next is... It's uh, all of Western civilization, you know, in, in one building. Yeah. 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 But yeah. so is the British Museum, you know, and so is the V&A in many ways. But um, I have a soft spot for the map. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is... It's everything, basically. Um, it, uh, yeah, I, I I remember really annoying my partner by taking so long going around the exhibitions and she's like, do you realise how much there is to see here? Um, <laughs> anyway, this isn't about my favourite places. This is about yours. So, uh, um, so your favourite place to drink? There's a really cool little bar um, in New York. I hope it's still open called Angel Share. I've been there. It was it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really you good. go up a little flight of stairs. It's in the East Village. You go up a little flight of stairs mm. and you have to go through a Korean barbecue restaurant. Cool. And yes. there's just an, an anonymous little door, a little wooden door. But behind that door, um, you're in the most magical little bar, right? And it's all, it's run by a so Japanese good. team. So there are all these mm. Japanese bartenders who are so meticulous in the mm. mixing of the drinks, mm. you know, it becomes like this, just watching them, it's like this science experiment and then they they shave the ice perfectly and, and all that and they create the most amazing cocktails and, and mocktails and I, I love their lychee martini. Oh. I remember getting a, a really incredible smoked whiskey cocktail that kind of actually was smoking whilst you were drinking it. It's uh, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So there's it's it's one of these places that you just don't expect to find in New York. Yeah. But it's, so much a part of why New York is such a great city. It's, it's got this cool little bar and you feel like you're a bit in Lost in Translation, the movie, yeah. in a way, you know, because there's all these exotic brandies and 
things that you that you don't normally see in a normal bar. So love the place. So that's about everything that we've got time for. Um, very sadly, we we could talk all day. I could definitely ask more of those quickfire questions as well. Um, but uh, thanks so much for your, for all your time, Kevin. It's been it's been wonderful to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. That was really wonderful. Same here. I mean, it's just it's just so much fun to talk about travel. You know, especially when we can't travel. I know. I was able to to escape for an hour as well into the fantasy of all these places. We always say that with this podcast that it's 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 like our little chance to kind of get away, and especially over yeah. the past year as well. Um, and that, I bet everyone enjoys doing it. Uh, fingers crossed they do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah. That, um, I think that was that was fantastic. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So once again. An enormous thank you to Kevin. Wasn't that I brilliant, loved, Lucy? Honestly, was... every second of that, that was so wonderful. Travelled to Capri, New York, two of my favourites. Love Italy, love New York. Um, and Kevin just painted the most evocative picture. I loved it. Yeah, and I think that kind of um, the relationship between travel and yeah. his writing is so kind of obvious to see how how these destinations shape the yes. kind of characters, the yes. world and, how, and, and stuff, and how Kevin's own experiences. That's it, and how of... he observes the world. And then that sort of, you know, that, that, that girl in, um, that girl he um, watched in Capri, how that kind of translates to his books. Amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. So, um, uh, yeah, huge thank you, Kevin. Um, uh, huge, huge honour. And uh, listener, you can join us next time where we'll be on another adventure as yet undetermined, but <laughs> we will. I'm sure we'll have something <laughs> in the pipeline quite soon. I know we've been talking about some very exciting destinations, uh, but in the meantime, uh, please review, like and subscribe the show. Your ongoing support means so much yes. to us. And from me, uh, it's bye for now. Uh, thank you, Lucy. Thank you, James. It's so lovely to be back and I will speak to you next time. Where to Go was produced by the team at DK Witness and the wonderful Julia Baker. It was presented by James Atkinson and Lucy Richards. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Eyewitness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.